0: All right, sports fans, Podcast One has two great new shows for you to check out. Seven-time NBA champ Robert Ori is bringing big guests and great NBA commentary on the Big Shot Bob Pod. The Brooklyn Nets remind me of Oklahoma Sooner football, and we gotta have to outscore you every time, and that's what the Brooklyn Nets are. Hey, you got Steve Nash at the helm. You got Dan Tony. They ain't thinking about no defense. And Eric Bowling and Brett Favre come together for Bowling with Favre. Everything from sports to politics to business and culture
2: any uh inside on what aaron plans to do in, in green bay what i read into his comments were simply frustration nothing more than that
0: subscribe now to the big shot bob pod and bowling with farve on the podcast one app apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review the shows on apple for your chance to be featured
2: Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Danny Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is John Krasinski, excellent writer on the Minnesota Timberwolves for the Athletic, and a lot to talk about with Garrison Rosas deciding to fire Ryan Saunders and hire Raptors assistant Chris Finch, and that is the primary uh, focus of our conversation. We do get into the roster a little bit, but the fascinating situation that Rosas faces and how quickly the evaluation is going to go and everything else. So a lot of great stuff here, and I hope you really enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Happy to do it. It's funny that this is the first time, correct me if I'm wrong, that the two of us have ever done a podcast. We've met a few times, but Minnesota is a very important part of the NBA world right now. And you've done a lot of great writing for this at The Athletic, but I, I I kind of feel like it's good for I'll, I'll kind of open the floor to you to set the scene of kind of how how all of this started and kind of transpired in terms of changing the coach.
1: Yeah, I mean, so you know, this is um, Ben. I think it's fair to say that this has been a long time coming. Essentially, mm-hmm. um, you know, Ryan Saunders ha- is was the youngest head coach in the league, and the Timberwolves were really struggling seven and twenty four when he was fired worst record in the league now there are many many reasons for why they have been so bad and they have not all just been that the coach is has not done a good job i mean they've done they've gone through an unbelievable amount of injuries had covid um, they've had all sorts of kind of off the court things that have plagued them uh, that have helped get them to this point but danny as you know as you know when you, When a team is in a situation like this, the quickest and the easiest thing to do is to change coaches, and it happens over and over again. So I think really over the last couple of weeks, the kind of possibilities and tension had been building toward a Ryan Saunders exit, just because there's not really any other immediate moves that are that can be made to try and address some of the problems that the Timberwolves have been facing. And um and so the the fact that the, the move was made is not a surprise. Maybe the fact of some of the machinations behind it, how they landed on Chris Finch and gave him a multi year deal, those things were some surprises that cropped up and have the Wolves trying to answer some tough questions. But the, the the simple fact of changing coaches is something that I think a lot of people saw coming really over the last month or so.
2: Yeah, and it makes total sense. I mean mm-hmm. the easy shorthand for this is that franchises that are underperforming relative to expectations, whatever those expectations are. Maybe it's that you're supposed to be a title team and you're under 500 this early, or it's whatever else. And it's actually in some ways harder when the expectations are lower because then there just isn't as much variance. But so, like, there are kind of a couple of pressure dissipators that can exist. So one is change the lineup. You know, like, you don't necessarily... You know, fire, you don't necessarily trade somebody or anything like that, but you know, you maybe you have an exciting rookie and you put them in the starting lineup or something else. Like there, there's some shorthands there. The second is change the roster. So that's make a trade, do something else. And then the third is fire the coach, or I guess you could say fire the general manager. That's another one. But so one of the fascinating dynamics of the Timberwolves, and I mean, Wolves fans are probably frustrated with the amount of time I've spent writing about this at the Athletic and, you know, talking about it on podcast too, is that they have one of the least flexible rosters in the league. And there are a mm-hmm. bunch of different reasons, many of which predate Garrison Rosas, for why that is the case. But so if you get to the point where you, like the, the, the entities that matter think, this is not where we want to be and we need to make a change, there actually aren't that many changes that they can make.
1: That's right, Danny. because, I mean, you, you remember, last, they, they made the big roster change last year. So Ryan Saunders' first full season on the job they um you know they have uh they start off the season really knowing that they were going to be rebuilding in that year and that it was going to take some time for them to for gerson rosas in his first year to really tailor uh a roster to what they wanted from a from a stylistic standpoint and a philosophical standpoint but um the, the wolves really did just, they, they were struggling around January and had really been sputtering and, and had some double digit losing streaks and, and things like that. And so Rosas hit the detonator button at the trade deadline. And, you know, you have eight new guys that came in and I believe it was seven that went out. Um, and you bring in D'Angelo Russell, you bring in Malik Beasley, you bring in Juancho Hernan Gomez, James Johnson, And so that was their big kind of roster move. Like, we're going to pair Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell, and that's going to be the new identity. And unfortunately for Ryan Saunders and for Gerson Rosas and everyone involved, um, you know, uh, Towns and Russell have still to this day from, you know, the, the trade of February, 2019, uh, or excuse me, February, 2020 have only played five games together because of injuries and illness and all these other things. But now, as you, as you said, they have an inflexible roster in that Towns has a max contract. D'Angelo Russell has a max contract. You have Ricky Rubio on a contract that that is significant in terms of dollars. Um, Malik Beasley just signed one that's pretty significant in terms of dollars. And so now they don't have a lot of the... Easy shifts and easy moves. Uh, you, know, you, ha- you have Jared Culver, who may be tradable, but um, but he doesn't have a lot of value right now. He's been injured and has not played well. Josh kogie is 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 a you know kind of just a a role player guy. So they don't have many easy moves on the chessboard from a roster standpoint to to do it. And so when you fire the roster bullet last year, the next bullet to fire is the coach bullet this year, and that's exactly what happened.
2: Yeah, and something that crystallized this challenge for me was i was i was actually working on the west my, one of my west trade deadline previews before saunders was fired and so, something that is unusual about minnesota is that typically n- not surprisingly you see a general manager when they take over that they have a new evaluation of the personnel and so you can have this shorthand of the players who they did not draft or sign or acquire those players are generally on shakier ground than the ones they did and so you could bring up like monty mcnair in sacramento like that's part of why and uh arturis Karnasovas in um chicago like those are some of why i think those are fascinating deadline teams is because this is maybe the first big chance. That they have to fit the roster to their vision. But with even though Rosas did not take over that long ago, it's his roster. Like that is, and yes. that, is, that isn't to say he made every decision that shaped it. I mean, the Andrew Wiggins extension and so many other things did. But in terms of the basic idea of players that he signed in free agency, traded for, or drafted, it is astonishingly high.
1: It is and you know the, the, the remarkable thing is we are now in February of 2021 and it was that case by February of 2020 when yeah. he made the big moves that by by the time the dust settled right there it, the only players left that he inherited from the previous May were were that left on the roster were Carl Anthony Towns and Josh Okokie. So two guys um, and he so he turned it over that quickly, which is amazing. Now, in fairness, you know, because he clearly made the decision that you really had to completely change the face of this roster up and down. And I, I don't disagree with him there. And you and I can talk about that, about the merits of the roster that he inherited and how much of a change needed to be made. I think. I am of the uh, belief that Rosas has the right idea and that that roster was going nowhere, so change it all over. That's fine. Um, but when you do that, the first few moves, even if they're big moves, are going to take some time and and so it you, it's not going to completely solidify in one or two or three trades or you know a, a free agent signing here or there. It is you know a ro- a process of probably, I don't know 18 months or so or longer to get through all of it to really churn the roster over as much as you want and get a little bit better so this is still a roster that is a work in progress in many ways but you're right in terms of all of the players up and down just still outside of towns and akogi they are all gerson rosas acquisitions
2: and that gets into an incredibly interesting and challenging point Which is, Rosas has overhauled the roster, but they were deeply inflexible before he even did that. Like, that is something that he didn't change. It's also something I would argue that he couldn't, because of the big contracts that were already on the books. Could have shifted a few things a little bit differently. But, like, just thinking about it practically, one challenge of that... If we're just thinking about, you know, because remember, everything is in, like, relative terms, and it's the eye of the beholder. In this case, it's typically the owner, and we'll talk about that in a different way in a little bit later. But now, I think Rosas owns this roster in a different way than he would have if he, like, kind of... And I understand this, because he's trying to do what's best for the franchise. And I wonder how that's going to play, because it's like, well, now, even though, yes, horrible injury luck and everything else, and, and that has to be acknowledged... It, he owns it in a different way than he would have, even though I would argue, at least off the top of my head, that if we're thinking about like a long term foundation, it's a, it was a series of reasonable decisions to make.
1: That's right. And and I do think that that is kind of the way that you have seen, at least locally and probably even nationally, the conversation start to evolve through the, the Ryan Saunders change here to Chris Finch in terms of, um, you know, there are very good arguments for making the Ryan Saunders move with you know some of the the rotations, um, you know some of the the roster decisions and the and the and the and the game plan decisions um, in some of these games that really caused either them to not be able to hold on to leads late, or certainly some in, in more epic proportions to lose major leads in the fourth quarter to Sacramento to Orlando over the last couple of years. You, they've had a few games where it's like man this lead can't be lost right even in the nba how can you lose this lead and the wolves would and certainly ryan saunders contributed to that with some of his um some of the way that he ran things and so even with all of the injuries involved you say when when you say you know ryan saunders is fired you say well you know bad luck on his part yeah but he made plenty of mistakes as well and so you can justify that maneuver um but then you look at now that so now that changes it because now he Gerson Rosas has his handpicked guy, Chris Finch, the guy who is long rumored to have been Rosas's preferred coach is now here. And so now there are no other kinds of excuses or or justifications or anything for why, you know, this won't work other than maybe health. And you, so everyone is kind of saying now that, okay, Gerson, you, you made your moves. Like now it's on you. And now you have your roster, you have your coach. And so now it's time for progress. And I don't think anyone is expecting the Wolves to rattle off, you know, 10 wins in 12 games and try and creep back up into discussions for the 10th, uh, you know, the playing game or anything like that. No one's expecting that. But I do think that now the pressure is on, the Rosas regime and this team to just start showing tangible improvement from now until the end of the season to say, okay, I can see a vision of where this thing is going and it's not all bad. You can see it coming together. Give them another offseason to draft and make some trades and free agencies and 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 then you know hit the ground running next year. But that's absolutely has kind of squarely put the pressure on, on Gerson to start to deliver here.
2: It has, and one of the challenges for the the element of evaluation that will happen this season, which is certainly a portion of it, I think twenty one twenty two will be bigger. Just as a practical, you know, practical effects, this season was was kind of off the rails for various reasons, many of which are are not anyone's fault, really. Um, but it's hard in these circumstances. I mean, something that comes up, you know, when you're trying to evaluate thirty teams, much less doing one really well is the idea of context and that it's not just about wins and losses. It's what is a what is a Chris Finch team look like? How does he interpret this roster differently? And those tea leaves, I don't think it's going to be anything necessarily definitive in the early going, especially when you consider how little teams are going to practice and how long it might take to incorporate some of that stuff. We'll have to see. But it will be important to eval- kind of evaluate this on the right terms. And what's I always find so fascinating about the NBA and there've been there are various people who try to compare running an NBA team to thing X, Y or Z. A lot of times it relates to the other work that the people who own teams have done. Mm-hmm. But the thing to remember is that those evaluations and those decisions are always made by a narrow group of people. And I so I will say like I think that judging the at least the early stages of, let's call it, the Chris Finch era in Minnesota, doing that by wins and losses, even honestly doing it by net rating or something like that, is challenging because it's really like, how differently do they play? What is is going to be his, like, how is he trying to define this roster? What is he trying to get these guys to do? And also, while you could argue coaching is kind of a black box in terms of like, Player X improves at thing Y. You can't say, oh, that was great coaching. It could be <laughs> player's work ethic. It could be any number of other things. But getting the early indications there, I think, are going to be extremely important, even though the people involved, I don't think the rest of this year is make or break for them individually.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good point. And, and, you know, you look at it, too, just the sheer circumstances that Chris Finch is coming into here. Um, you know, let's face it, the transition from Saunders to Finch has not been handled smoothly. And so there's a lot of scrutiny on Gerson Rosas and on the Timberwolves for how all of this went down. That makes, you know, uh, 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 coaching changes are always messy. This is one of the messier ones because of all of that. So he's coming into that. He is coaching with a group of assistants. Who he didn't hire. He has, you know, he has long histories with Pablo Prigioni and Brian Gates and Joseph Blair and a few others on the set and Kevin Hansen. So it helps. There's familiarity there, but he didn't pick any of these guys. So, um, so it's a it's one head coach coming into an existing um, system and an existing environment where everyone else is, is is held over from the previous coach, and so you have that kind of complication. Oh, by the way. In a pandemic, it's games every other day. Now they have two days off right now. It's the first time they've had two days off since like January fourth or something ridiculous. And so um, there is no practice time. There is no time to kind of just everyone calm down. Let's go over some things. Let's make some changes and and real and really make some tweaks. So. Um, Looking at it, and and I I don't know how much we're going to be able to glean about Chris Finch in the next few weeks. Maybe over the, the course of the rest of the second half of the season, you will see some gradual changes and some kind of things to say, okay, they're doing this differently. This is either good or this is bad. Um, But this is just an incredibly difficult situation for Chris Finch to be put in right now and for the players to react to and and to adapt to. And so, yeah, I think that you have to look much more at the granular than at the you know, the big picture of either wins or, and losses or, you know, even some things as, you know, uh, offensive, defensive rating, like they are going to have to be just for survival, running a lot of the same stuff that they have always run. And so um, it's going to take a full offseason and training camp and summer league and, and all these other things to really implement the changes that they do. The one interesting thing about this, Danny, you know, is that when you look at this, the, the, the Rosas and Saunders pairing. Ryan Saunders was running a lot, a lot of what Gerson Rosas wanted.
2: Yeah, philosophically.
1: Philosophically. So Chris Finch is also very much lockstep with Gerson Rosas in what they want to do philosophically. Sometimes when these, these moves are made, you'll see like overcorrections and, oh, we had a player's coach, we got to get a disciplinarian. We had a, a rookie coach, we got to get a veteran. We had a defensive coach, we got to get offensive. Gerson is staying with what he wants philosophically in Chris Finch. So what we're going to have to try to evaluate here in the next few months especially is, is Chris Finch? a better implementer of what Gerson Rosas wants and does what Gerson Rosas want work as an effective strategy in the NBA today? like and with this roster like those are the two things to look at and so I don't know do you think like I mean they come from the Houston Rockets organization the Rockets have won a lot for sure are there other instances that we have seen of this system and this approach working beyond Houston Rockets James Harden one of the greatest offensive players of all time
2: yeah it's a great question and also where does where does the rubber meet the road with a very different star player. Now I, I love Carl yes. Anthony Towns. I've been, you know, it was funny, Nate and I did our top prospects and part of that was going back through. Now Towns has graduated from that because he's, he's older now, but I like remembering like he was the number one guy on my board over over Anthony Davis at one point and all these other things. And also Towns is unique. Like there are, you could envision similarities between an optimized offensive Towns and Jokic, someone that Chris Finch has coached in his past. But the you know like where do these philosophical elements like I mean you could talk about, like the connection between Finch and Rosas going back to Rio Grande. I mean going going back mm-hmm. that far and I'm very interested to see, like, kind of if they go maximally, how that works, and as, like the roster can't really change. But I, I think an interesting, an interesting point with this, and I hadn't articulated this well before now, is, and this is a very complicated thing. But if Garrison Rosas feels that Chris Finch is his best chance, that he is the right coach for this team, or at least the one that Rosas wants to stake his job to and his reputation, you know, honestly, future GM jobs as well, then it's better to make this move now than to make Uh it in August. Because now, we've talked about how inflexible their roster is. At least now you get a chance to have your voice in the room. You get a chance for everyone to evaluate the fit of coach and player before an offseason as opposed to having to do that on the fly. So that is – it's ignoring some major stuff that we're going to talk about. But if, if you're going purely kind of – let's call it like short-term Machiavellian, if you think somebody is the right person and you're willing to roll those dice with your own career, you, it's better to do it early than late. And then if we should talk about that, and then we can talk about whether this actually is early. Right.
1: Yeah, I think. Yeah, I I do think that um, one thing that we have seen from the Rosas regime and that has defined his stay so far in Minnesota is he is not afraid to make big moves, to take big swings, as he likes to call them. Um, This is a big swing. In the timing of it. But yeah, in in the grand scheme of it, you're right in terms of if you've made the decision that Ryan Saunders is incapable of being the person to carry forward your vision and to really do everything that it takes in practice, in games, in the locker room to give that vision the best chance of working out, then yes cut the cord, you know, make it happen and 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 give the new person enough time because now you get by getting him in now, you get several months here for him to really kind of acclimate to the players, get to know them, the players get to know him, and you'll by the end of this season, you will have a very good uh read on which players fit which don't um what what uh issues you have to address from either a play play coach standpoint a personality standpoint all of those things so that really does set everything up for this summer to have a much clearer eyed view of what changes still need to be made to give this the best chance to work so um in the in that respect you say Absolutely. This makes a whole lot of sense, much more sense than putting in an interim coach, going through the motions for the second half of the season, and then making your move, and everything being also brand new as you're going into the draft and and free agency and all of those things. Where they are obviously taking their hits on are just the process behind how they got to it, not necessarily the decision itself.
2: Right. And there are a couple of huge human elements to consider here. I mean, one of them is the kind of like the coaching staff and the coaching profession i mean the the importance of having a true hiring process which was not the case here and There is a theoretically an interesting discussion and I'm not sure we're at the point where like anybody knows enough necessarily to say this about whether the coaching search that happened early in Rosas' regime was actually maybe not for right then. But that is a – it is a real challenge to – like so – and I understand the – like I – and honestly to an extent I agree with the criticism that the organization and Rosas individually is getting for some of that and it is important you know like the part of the reason why there is outrage is because and, and it's funny because Rosas understands this I would say better than a lot of people as a as a minority and as somebody who had to you know work his way up through an organization and everything else so i i i, I acknowledge all that i'm not going to downplay it or anything like that and it creates challenges and especially in mba circles where you know the the interim approach one of the benefits is that it gives somebody else an opportunity so it's it's a real challenge for rosas especially if he had evaluated that he knew where he wanted to go
1: yeah and that's it you know i mean you you do you look at just you strip away the the I don't know how you want to term it, but the quote unquote right way to do things and and getting to this point, you understand um, that, hey, this is the coach that he really believes in. Go get him and 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 go do it, especially when the first year and a half have not gone very well for you. And you know, you have to kind of start to solidify that you have the right vision and you're the right person for this job. I do think that it's you know it's just been a little bit shaky with with how everything has worked out so far that he had to go make the the choice that he made but i think that when you get into you know in this day and age rightly absolutely rightly um the 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 topic of opportunities for candidates of color in high profile positions it's front and center in the nba right now and in all sports leagues and so when you go through a situation where you didn't really consider that process, um, that is, you know, that's going to draw scrutiny. And then there are, there's also the, the timing element of it where it sure looks like they had Chris Finch done and waiting in the wings and they still let Ryan Saunders coach another game and go through that and come on the road for the start of a, of a four game road trip. And so they were just, you know, crossing T's and dotting I's with Chris Finch while Ryan was preparing a team, while he was doing pregame media, going through an entire game, doing postgame media. Um, And then you fire him. And oh, by the way, five minutes later, Chris Finch is the guy. So I feel actually I really feel for Chris Finch in this whole thing because none of this was his fault. He is a qualified coach. Um, He has paid his dues. And. Um, and really worked his way up to try and get this opportunity. And now, because of some of the things that were kind of more decorum and, and ethics of it that are called into question, that's what's drawing real scrutiny here. And – um you know, I, I've I've kind of quoted it before, but the you know the American classic film cocktail Coglin's Law: everything ad- ends badly, or else it wouldn't end. And so there's that part of it is true. There's no good way to do these things, but it does feel like there were a couple of unforced errors in how they they handled it that is just really muddying the waters for them right now, and probably bringing more challenge to them than than they needed to bring on themselves and um and and so that's that's kind of the thing that that they're trying to do damage control on right now
2: well and it's you know losing the benefit of the doubt is another way to put it just like i always said rosa's owns this roster he owns this coaching hire in a in a different way not only for people in our line of work but also the organization the players on the team players on other teams like damian willard's advocacy for david vanderpool like you have all of those elements that now it's like well if it doesn't work the knives are out and you could make an argument the knives were going to be out anyway but it's it's a little bit different now and i i don't want to i don't want to dwell too long on saunders also because there's a lot of other stuff i want to get to in a short period of time but what i will say uh is two things one if people haven't read the piece that you did on Saunders' connection with the organization, as somebody who is less in tune with that, I thought it was really it was really well done and it helps convey what made that circumstance so unusual and so special and also so challenging. Um, but then the other part is, and I want your reaction to this, is I largely think of coaches in the NBA in three different categories. One category is the value adds. And so those are, it's a very small group, but they're, you know, you think every... Every team, pretty much, that they're on will outperform their talent level. Oftentimes, Mm -hmm. that's defensively. Maybe sometimes it's, oh, they're really good at scheming, or they can adjust things based on who they have, anything like that. And that doesn't mean they're going to be great every year, because especially this year we know how covid and all these other things can change things then you have a very small group on the other end which is clear negatives i don't think there are that many of those that that ever really persist in the nba where it's like oh this person's clearly over their head they're not doing anything right maybe the team hates them you know like there are all sorts of ways that somebody can fail but then you have this middle group which is almost every coach in the nba and that group is Sometimes positive, sometimes negative, and and there are, you know you can there are shades of gray within this. And my general stake is that since coaches are they're well paid, but they're not paid, and it's not subject to the salary cap, the luxury tax, all that fun stuff, is that to me, once you are sure or reasonably sure that your coach is not in that first group, and of course, if you're sure they're in the second, if they're in the bad group, then you, you deal with that. But once you're basically sure of that. I think teams should cycle a lot more often. And incidentally, because this is important for this one, cycle with people that you have more confidence can like have a chance to be in that top group. And so, I mean, Chris Finch just coached with Nick Nurse. But it's somebody who doesn't have an NBA track record. I mean Finch has an NBA track record as an assistant. And so like those parts of this I think are like that That Saunders and people I'm sure will, vary, will, will maybe argue where within that gray area in the middle group that he is. But I don't think there will be too much argument that he is in the like val- clear value add group. But so like those parts of it are fascinating too. Absolutely.
1: And and I, I do think that, you know, a lot of time what you'll hear is especially from coaches and most of the coaches who are in that either middle or lower group that that you both that, that you kind of laid out is that what we need is consistency. Like, I you know, I need time and consistency to get my to establish my culture, to get my system in and also to get players that fit and so um you but but at the same time like especially in this day and age there is not people don't have that time and consistency gms don't have that time they're generally not given three or four coaching hires without um you know showing some success and so i I do agree with you in terms of, like, there's no disputing. And, you know, look, I've I know I've known Ryan Saunders for a long, long time. I have great respect for him. I know that he works incredibly hard at this. Um, I know that this means everything to him to be the Timberwolves coach. And it, it and it really was killing him that it didn't work out. But he knows and everyone knows that if you don't get the job done, if you do not win enough, you can be the best guy in the world and you're going to get run out. Just like you can, if you're, you know, generally Someone who is difficult to deal with, or, or hard headed, or anything like that, and you win a ton, you're going to get the opportunity to stay. And and so um, there were so many people that were really rooting for Ryan Saunders to do well, including Carl Anthony Towns and Ricky Rubio, and a lot of people in that Wolves locker room. Everyone in the organization really wanted him to to deliver and and to be able to you know be the the, the rare, really super young coach that has a lot of success in this league. It didn't work out. And um, there are, again, many reasons for that. But he is not certainly, there's no one that's saying Ryan Saunders right now in this stage of his career is in that top value-add coach um, situation. And I think there's there's very much a chance that down the road, five, ten years down the road, as he gets more experience and maybe he goes and and, and sits on Spolster's staff or Rick Carlisle's staff or something like that, and continues to learn. Maybe he becomes a coach like that. Um, it's very rare for a coach to work out in the very first place they've hired and stay there forever, like Pop. So um, so he can evolve, evolve and become that. But he just he is not that right now. And and so from that very aspect of it, just that evaluation moving from him to another coach is um, is a justifiable position. Now, I mean, this coach, Chris Finch, has to be an upgrade and has to be pretty good at this for Gerson Rosas to come out on the other side of this looking all right. If for whatever reason, Chris Finch does not deliver um, over, I would say, the next year and a half here, um, then, you know, Gerson Rosas probably isn't going to get another chance to hire uh, a third coach.
2: Right. Right. And that is a, a very real challenge. And also it's unusual for somebody as young as Ryan Saunders to get that opportunity. I mean, you could think yes. about Chris Finch is a great example. You know, usually it takes time. You have to go through the go through the processes of, you know, being a lower level coach. Maybe you spent time as a player as well to, to get there. And so that'll – maybe that works out later. Like it, it's – all, there have been, you know, like Pop and Spo and some other ones that eventually figured it out in their first location. Remember, it wasn't smooth sailing for all those guys from the beginning. Right. And, I mean, you could bring up Doc Rivers as another example of that. Um, but he changed teams, of course. But it, it is it is interesting. I want to move a little bit to the Timberwolves on, and I guess in certain cases off the court. Um, Carly 30 Towns, still a prodigious talent, and, of course, he has so sadly dealt with so much personal tragedy between, you know, the bet- between the last year and, and, and everything getting back to him though on the court do you th- so basically like you could think of the archetypes of superstars and there are a lot the, part of what makes basketball great is that you can be dominant in a lot of different ways but centers it's often a little bit different and we know his brilliance on offense so I think there are kind of two parts of this one is there more that towns that you think he can do offensively like maybe whether it's Chris Finch and I mean I guess it kind of has to be and defensively, I mean, I remember loving the film on Towns going back to when he was in Kentucky. Hasn't really delivered there. There are a bunch of different reasons why that could be the case. Is, like, How much ground do you think there is that he realistically can make up over the next couple of years there?
1: Yeah, so we'll start offensively. Um, I, I still think there, are, there is room for him to grow. Um, especially, I think, in the facilitating department. Um, He has averaged for his career 2.8 assists. The last two years, 4.4. He's at 4.2 this year. I think that can go up exponentially. Um, You know, his first game under Finch, Against Milwaukee at 11 assists, and I don't think that that can it, it has to be an outlier. Um, you know, you do look at Jokic is an unbelievably different breed, but Towns is he has in terms of court vision, in terms of ability to make unconventional passes from you know the post, from the elbow, um, anywhere he can quarterback an offense, and he hasn't had that opportunity very often to do that, and so I do think that. Chris Finch will give him that opportunity and when he has the teammates around him that can make shots um, he's going to see that part of his game really blossom otherwise it's hard to poke holes in much else that he does I mean he shoots the three he's a great post player I do think he will get more post touches is what Finch has said and I think that he can be effective even more kind of devastating in terms of the way he passes out of that and the way that he can kind of make moves and, and 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 score from that area as well, so his efficiency is already through the roof, and I think that will only go up as well. Again, as he continues to get healthy, as his mental um, makeup kind of you know settles down after an unbelievably heartbreaking run um, here over the last year, um, I think all of that will go up and get sharper, but. Where he can really take him himself offensively is to become that real focal point and and really you know make his teammates better by finding them cutting to the basket by getting them open threes of uh, 11 or nine of his 11 assists, assists against Milwaukee were uh, created three points shots, which is, I think that's how you build around towns. And if he's not the guy that you just put it, the ball in his hands at the end of the clock and say, you know, break this guy down and go get a bucket. He's a guy that just has such gravitational pull offensively that um, he can still be a devastating late game player and he makes free throws too. So you don't have to worry about that.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. One of the other interesting dynamics of this Timberwolves roster, we've talked about some of the challenges there, is that I feel that both Anthony Edwards and Malik Beasley are best suited, not only defending, but also being defended by opposing shooting guards. And sure, necessity, mother of invention, if you want to give both those guys minutes, they're going to overlap. That's fine. That's what's going to happen. But I'm kind of gaming it out a little bit. And so Beasley has been the Wolves' best success story this season. And yes. Edwards is the Edwards. He's maybe not the cornerstone because that's still Towns and Towns is still young. So it's not, it's, this isn't like a 35 year old passing the torch. But, you know, let's say, let's say that they can get enough forward depth that they don't have to play all of their guards at forward how do you do you have an inc- inclination yet it's still really early on how that situation sorts itself out
1: you know it is going to be interesting um to, to watch how that works danny because uh they do have that kind of log jam right now and i mean theoretically you can talk yourself into Edwards being a three um, just because of his physical nature. I mean, he is big, strong, fast. And so you could say, yeah, he can play the three. But I agree with you. He is probably better suited to be to reach his ceiling, to be at the two, to overpower two guards, to to have the ball in his hands and be that playmaker and run the pick and roll, run ISO and, and just really put a lot of pressure on the defense. So in one way, Danny, when you we we talked about this earlier in the in the show, is that this is a roster that is largely inflexible. So when you want to make moves, you sometimes have to deal from a position of strength. And I do wonder, you know, would Malik Beasley, the way that he is playing, you'd hate you you hate to give up on, you know, because he is your success story. He's been phenomenal. Uh, From an offensive standpoint, but is that something that you look at if you have to find more balance in the roster and maybe provide more opportunity for Edwards and things like that? You could get real assets back for Malik Beasley at this point. That contract looks better and better, even if even if he gets a suspension, which we expect will probably happen at some point. Uh, he'll get through that, and that contract looks very real and very affordable. So on one hand, you want to keep that because that really helps on a team where maybe one of your max guys in D'Angelo Russell isn't going to fulfill his contract, so you have to have overperformers, and Beasley could be one, but maybe that's also one that could be... You know, uh, enticing to other teams when you're looking to add value instead of just like moving a culver or a kogi for, you know, shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic type of a situation.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's totally fair, and it'll be a challenge for Rosas, because I mean, you trade for a guy, it worked out, it's worked out well, but just with the way the draft and everything else turns out, and it happens. Like basketball is a business, you know, and and also that decision doesn't have to be made right now. But I think right. you're right that that might be where it's going. I know, I know we're short on time. I think the other thing we have to discuss at least briefly is D'Angelo Russell, and it has certainly been a disappointing start to his tenure for a bunch of reasons many of much of which is injury but where do you think it where do you think it? i, I started this with a question of where do you think it goes from here and i think i'm going to end with that of just yes we know russell's dealing with this knee injury right now but can he like is he is he i mean he has to be the guy i guess to do all this but like it, it's interesting when you think about like they've been putting the ball in edwards hands a lot finch has been putting it in towns hands more a lot like I'm I'm trying to figure out where Russell's part is. And you would normally say, oh, well, maybe he'll be marginalized a little bit. Rosa's traded for him, including <laughs> a lightly protected first round pick a year ago.
1: Right. Yeah, it's amazing, um, you know, how it, it has worked out that way. And in terms of you know, he was welcomed here as you know, the missing piece as just a major, major part of this franchise. And, you know, there were people around the league who looked at this deal, and even if they were skeptical, the clear indication was that Rosas really thought that D'Angelo Russell of uh, this deal had potential to do for the Wolves what the Harden deal did for the Rockets. Now, Rosas and everyone around doesn't say that D'Angelo Russell can be James Harden, but that they the belief was is that if they put him in the right system with Carl Anthony Towns, if they really kind of cater to him, that he can just raise his level of play, you know, several notches and and become an All Star caliber player in the West, which is different than an All Star caliber player. In the East. And so um, we have not seen that yet. Now, numbers wise, he's shooting 40% from three this year. Um, You know, that's better than anything he's done before. Um, His efficiency numbers are, eh, but, um, but numbers wise, he's okay. Uh, But I think that the clear thing that was happening that we saw develop over the last month, month and a half was that he and Ryan Saunders were not on the same page. And I think some of that stemmed from D'Angelo looking at Ryan Saunders as a very young coach and questioning if he had the ability to be the guy to lead this team forward. Um, And so now that they have made this change to a 51-year-old, more veteran guy, even though this is his first NBA head coaching job, that's Chris Finch's main sort of obstacle here is to find a way to make D'Angelo Russell effective and you know in this system because you look also to danny this system they want to play very fast they want to shoot a lot of threes and get to the rim d'angelo russell does not want to play really fast he's very deliberate um he wants to kind of probe and take his time and do things that way he lives in the mid-range he shoots threes and he's fine with that but he loves the mid-range he does not go to the rim so a lot of those things do not fit with the system that they want to employ. So Chris Finch is going to have to find a way to make some compromises and hope that in, in making some compromises himself, he gets D'Angelo Russell to compromise a little bit as well and they can get him in position to be successful because if it has gone – if it keeps going the way it has gone – um, all of a sudden, you know that deal where everyone here was really ecstatic to get rid of Wiggins and get off that contract and get a get a player like Russell in here, who they thought had star caliber, uh, star star potential. Now it looks like, boy, all of the the. Um, added value is on the Golden State side and none of it is on the Timberwolves side. So they got to find a way to make that work. I think it's getting those compromises and it's also maybe even developing Russell more as this late game closer because he can get his shot when he wants it and he can knock those down. So that's the way that he, I think, injects value into what they're doing when he comes back healthy. And that's several weeks away.
2: Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Well, it, I, I know there are other angles we could take, but I'm gonna. Your time is incredibly valuable. You've had to do so much this week, so much great reporting. I'm gonna thank you so much for taking the time to come on.
1: Happy to have, uh, happy to be on, Danny. Uh, I'll come back anytime. Thanks for having me man.
2: Thanks again to John Krasinski for taking the time to come on. You can read his work at The Athletic, and you can also follow him. On Twitter, at John Krasinski, J-O-N-K-R-A-W-C-Z-Y-N-S-K-I. Loved having him on, and great time on for the first time. I mean, I've talked to John numerous times, basically whenever the Wolves were in town, and, you know, All-Stars and Finals and stuff, really nice guy, and knows the Wolves so well. I knew we had a limited amount of time to work with. There were a few other things that I would have loved to discuss. Of course, Anthony Edwards' rookie season, other than the kind of the reference about how they're going to sort it out with Beasley, and... The role of Glenn Taylor in all this, I mean, you can get a lot of that. The reason I didn't go into a lot there is because I think John's piece on The Athletic kind of speaks for itself about convincing Glenn Taylor that Ryan Saunders might not be the right guy for the job, and... All, and that whole process is in the piece that he wrote about Ryan Saunders, which I mentioned in the interview. Uh, but you should definitely read it. I, that gave me a lot of background insight, which was extremely important to understand it. I mean, those of you who know my who know my stances know that I think ownership is the biggest competitive advantage in the NBA, and the timeline with Rosas getting hired but Saunders staying on and then getting fired now, I think is, I think to an extent, it speaks for itself. And uh, so I I I'm, I didn't get into it with john but it is definitely a point worth pursuing and john has pursued it to a pretty great degree already so if you want to support the show there are a lot of different ways you can do it you can subscribe and download every episode that is particularly useful for a show like this that doesn't come out on a specific day of the week it's more about my availability guest availability you can do that in spotify apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts leave a rating leave a review and same, the podcast player of your choosing. It's a great way for other people to find the show. Also, word of mouth. Hey, this specific episode. Hey, this show in general, you think people might like it. That's a great way for people to find it. It's how I find podcasts sometimes. People tell me that I would like something and, or make a mention on social media, and I check it out, and hopefully I like it. I don't always, but that, that's the whole idea is to help other people find it. And I have plenty of other stuff going on. Um, Nate and I are doing dunked on, still full bore five episodes a week, one public and four for dunked on prime. We also and included in dunked on prime this week. We did our top 10 prospects, which is the best players age 23 and under and annual exercise. And we also went through some of the historical stuff, went through our own picks and made us feel smart and stupid, mostly stupid. That's the way it works out. That's part of the fun of it. So that is out for Dunked On Prime. And also the NBA cast, where Nate and I broadcast games on League Pass, that is still going strong. That's every Monday, so you can definitely check that out. I believe preliminarily we're doing bulls nuggets for that this coming one day but that might be subject to change i think there might be some shifts in the national i don't know this but there might be some shifts in the national national schedule so in terms of time, game timing or potentially games so we'll see keep an eye on it my twitter feed will have that and so will everything else also written work at the athletic just like john and had a big piece including a section on the Timberwolves, on West sellers this week. So basically like what selling would look like and what teams have and why they would or would not want to do that along with some predictions. And if the Eastern Conference, one of those is already out, that was each of them is about 4,000 words. That was last week and this week. Have plenty more coming down the pipeline. We're about a month away from the trade deadline. So time to think about it, but also could be seeing some action pretty soon. So That's really, really exciting. If you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, danieleru, nba, at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is a promise. I'll reply if I can. I'm not great about that. I will openly acknowledge that. But if you want me to, the whole point is to get me to read it and to hopefully make the show better, I do that. That is extremely, extremely important to me. And I don't want to waste your time. So I, I make sure to do that every day before i go to bed and that is all for now i might i I might already have next week lined up it just kind of depends on availability it's either going to be next week or the week after just kind of working on that and excited of course about it as i am about every real jam radio and thanks for those who um were patient that i didn't have an episode last week i had had something come up and was not able to record thanks to podcast one for being so understanding as well and we'll be back on the regular schedule this show has been once a week basically since time immemorial it will continue to be that way as long as i do it every once in a while there might be a short blip i apologize for that that's the way it is sometimes so thank you so much for listening take care and make it a great day
0: A healthy lifestyle depends on quality sleep, and Sleep Number is here to help you sleep more efficiently. Sleep efficiency is the amount of restful sleep you have at night and is a key part of your overall health. Here are some tips to help you get the most efficient sleep possible. Reduce caffeine consumption before noon and limit late-night alcohol. Get regular exercise during the day, which helps you feel tired in the evening. And keep track of your sleep health with data from your Sleep Number 360 smart bed. Sleepers who routinely use their Sleep Number 360 smart bed features get almost 100 hours more proven quality sleep per year. With that much extra energy, you could get more quality family time. Volunteer at a meaningful charity, or exercise, meditate, and reconnect with nature. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep, which starts with Sleep Number adjustability. It's time for Sleep Number's ultimate Sleep Number event. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 limited edition smart bed, plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast1. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com slash podcast1 for details do it for the team the free covid vaccine is fda authorized for kids five and up do it for your besties and the resties it's safe for your child and can help
1: protect their friends
2: do it for birthdays
1: and help protect your family
2: and game night when you give your child the vax you give them the power to learn do it for field trips
0: and camp outs.
2: to experience
0: and big hugs And
1: to be a kid. Get your child vaccinated
2: and give them the power. Paid for with Pennsylvania taxpayer dollars.